Welcome to another edition of Len's Burning Bush. I am Len Harvey. Before I bring on my guests for the week, I want to talk about what's really burning my bush, and it is seething this week. So episode 51, a few weeks ago, we had Mike Dardis on from WLWT Channel 5, and I mentioned about my car buying experience. Where back in January, I ordered a car. I had to order it because they didn't have it available. And then in March, they screwed up my order, and then we had to do it again. So after the first issue, I told them that I wanted to be kept updated through the entire process. Now, this seems like a simple request, a call, a text, an email. It's pretty easy to do that. You don't even have to talk to me. Just let me know where we're at. Like, dude, where's my car, right? Pretty simple. Am I being unreasonable to expect that? Is this the customer service? Is it that bad right now that you can't even get that? After all, you're buying an expensive item, and, and should you gain that respect, right? Well, the reorder of the car took place, as I'll explain this, on March 22nd. And they said they would get with the manufacturer and try to speed up the process. Now, I have to laugh a little bit as I do this, because let me stop for a second. If they ever did a drug test, either at the dealership level or the manufacturer level, one drug they're not going to find is speed. Okay, so that's the first thing that I noticed. And of course, after this, I never heard from them. I emailed them and asked, you know, what's going on? And they told me that it was in D1 with a VIN number. I don't even know what that means, but I know it had a VIN number. That I knew. Then a few weeks later, I emailed again and asked, where is it again? And they said it's D1 scheduled to ship on April 28th. Okay, can't you just send me an update without me contacting you? But again, after not hearing from them, it's April the 19th, and I'm just like, I haven't heard from them in a week, at least, after I emailed them. And I said, I, I want to call them. So I, I got on the phone. I called them. I said, well, what's the update? I get kind of the same answer. And I asked the sales manager, is there any reason why you can't keep me updated through this process? That's been my biggest complaint through the whole thing. No one tells me anything. His answer was, I forgot to call you. And I said, you haven't <laughs> called me in the entire time. What is going on? What is, what is this? I mean, how do you forget? But, you know, I said, no one has ever called me. I've had to call you. You knew this was the reason. This is the reason that I was upset through the whole process through the first time. And I said, and, and keep in mind, as I'm doing this episode, no call or email or text since that 19th phone call. Really? I'm at a point now where I want to tell them to stick it. And I know what is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to call me up, and it's going to be close to the end of the month, and the car is going to be there, right? Because that's in the car business. That's when they want to sell it, right, by the end of the month. They're going to tell me, your car's ready to be picked up. I think I might tell them, I'll let you know when I'm going to pick it up. I mean, I'm at a point now where I have nothing to lose. I just, I really can't stand this whole waiting process. They're going to tell me when you want to come pick it up. And I'm going to say, I don't know. I'll be there when I be there. Right. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'll keep them waiting. Now I won't mention the dealer cause I don't want to do that. There's short, probably some good people that work there. Um, but I, I, there's one thing I will I want to do if I do decide to pick this car up um, is to when I'm done on the way out of the dealership, I want to tell them I will never buy another car from them again. And I will gladly drive 
35 miles to the next dealership and wave at them as I go by. They probably won't care, but it'll make me feel better. And isn't that what this is all about anyway? With that being said, it's time to bring on my guest for the week. He is an award-winning vocalist from the great city of St. Louis. Please welcome the very talented Joe Mancuso to Lens Burning Bush. And Joe, I just, not only I'm excited that you're here, but do you feel, do you, do you ever have this happen to you? What is with the customer service today? I don't know. I've never bought a car online. Is that basically how this started? You were online? No, we, we looked oh. online to try to find it. My wife wanted got- a particular type of car, right? So we were trying to find, we have a, a particular type of car that she has, and we were just trying to upgrade because the manufacturer had this cash back and we... Um, we wound up having a lot of equity in our car. So we were just trying to figure out getting a new car would actually be cheaper, right? So that right. was the idea behind the whole process. So we went to this dealership. They couldn't find any that were anywhere within a 500-mile radius with the type of color, the options that we wanted, which is ridiculous because the first time we bought this car, we were able to get one off the lot. But I understand they've had I- issues with production, that stuff, right? So we go to the dealer. They say, no problem. We'll order it. Famous, famous last words. So January 4th, we order the car. Of course, they don't update me through the whole process. Finally, March 16th, they call. Hey, the car's in. Come on down. So we had to rush everything. I get there. There's no sunroof. There's no navigation. And I'm like, this is not what we ordered. How do you screw up the order, right? They they know know how to take the reservation. Apparently not. That's what we talked about (laughs) on the last episode of the show. So I... I had to reorder it through the whole process. And I'm like, I don't want to do this, but I figured at this point I have hand, right? Because, right. you know, they screwed up. I'm going to get the best deal. They're going to give me, you know, the the old putty line, the insider's deal, right, when, at Seinfeld. So I, yeah. I decided, you know, let's reorder it. And again, no one is calling me. Like, what? I mean, again, where's my car? I think, I think in this situation, you already put yourself at a huge disadvantage because you're ordering a car with specific you know uh accessories they got they got you so like when there's a car just sitting there on the lot uh that's that's i you know i've bought several new cars in my life and I, i learned how to buy a new car from my grandpa who took me we walked out of four dealerships before we bought the car but we were trying to buy the same exact car and he had a, you know, he had a formula, and uh, it took us all day long. <laughs> I got the best damn price on my first brand new car, which was a Honda, and we walked off the second last lot for for fifty dollars. And I said, "Hey, Grandpa, this we got the, you know, he he almost wanted to uh, fight over this thing. They, back then, they used to call it the document fee, <laughs> yeah, which which now is like two hundred dollars. Back then, it was fifty. And uh, I got tired. I was like, Grandpa, I go, let's just make this offer. And I, it was like 6850 yeah. bucks, you know. And we started at 8200 at the first dealer. But the car was on the lot, you know, and it was the end of the month. And they got to move cars. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, when you order a car like that, I, I, you know, it sucks that you had to put up with so much uh of these excuses and forgetting to put the sunroof in and stuff like that. How, you know? And they never even admitted that they made a mistake. Like had they been a little forthcoming with, you know what? It was almost like when it happened, they're like, Oh, you were hemming and hawing about what options I go. Hold on a minute. 
The sunroof and the nav were never in discussion as to what was going to be not in the car. Because yeah. the car they're taking has a sunroof and nav. Why would I take, I have another, like, why would I get another one that doesn't have it? So, and it's just, it's just become a nightmare. But I, I really would like to tell them to stick it. Uh, that would be the ultimate, right? Yeah. They, they call yeah. in and say it's coming in. I go, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to pass. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you still don't have it? No. It, it, matter of fact, it's supposed to be, according to the, the email or the, the phone calls I did when after I called them or the text or whatever, I was told that it was supposed to be shipping on April 28th. That's all I know. Oh, I don't okay. know any more. Um, but oh. ship, you know. Ship. I forgot. This is the yeah. second one. Yeah. Yeah, this is the second one. The first one came in on March 16th, and they screwed it up. And, I'm, you know, again, this is the things that it's first world problems. We don't need. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's not a big deal, right? It, you know, people, no, right. Pe people have had COVID. We talked about, it, you know, sicknesses and all this stuff. And I'm worried about a stupid car. But this is why we have a, a radio. This is why we have a podcast to talk about things that bother me. But let's get into you. Um, we met at um, a house party uh, and my good friend Jay Brandt. And uh, he had you and Dave Black at the house. And, and you did a, a fantastic uh, duo together and, and singing. I actually have the, the uh, CD. And uh, oh, why yeah. don't you tell a little bit about, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've been doing this for, for a long time. And uh, you love the jazz stuff that you do. So talk about that. Yeah, well, uh, I'm a I'm in in St. Louis. I'm known as a jazz singer, and uh, so I, I perform around town in many different uh, configurations: duo, trio, quartets, big bands, and um, that's what I'm known for. But I, I, growing up, I was a rock and roller. I was a singer songwriter in high school. I was in a rock band. Um, and then I went to college and studied jazz and became sophisticated. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of fell in love with, you know, with with jazz, um, the history of it, the instrumental jazz. I like to listen to, you know, instrumental jazz horn players. I like stuff that's uh, post-war, you know, mainstream bebop and, uh, you know, stuff from the 50s and the 60s. Um, and so along with that, the singers, um, jazz singers of that era, um are, uh, you know, some pretty uh, incredible musicians, especially the ones that, that scat, you know. Um, but a lot of people look at me and they say, oh, they see an Italian-American, you know, my last name. They see that I'm Italian. I grew up on the, on the hill, which is the Italian little Italy of St. Louis. Um, they all kind of like associate me with a, like a Sinatra or, you know, Dean Martin or that kind of stuff because... I do do that stuff uh, at, you know, uh, some of my performances, but I'm not just a uh, pop singer that's singing jazz tunes or like back then, um, those guys were really considered pop singers, not really jazz singers per se, but however, you know, Sinatra sang mostly jazz standards and, you know, he didn't really scatter improvise but he did a couple a couple of times but his contemporaries or other people like billy holiday or well maybe not even her so much she might she's considered a jazz singer but she didn't really scat that much but there were a lot of other um singers that kind of escaped me right now since i, I just woke up <laughs> <laughs> one, one of them was anita uh anita o'day i think her name was 
Um, she was an incredible jazz singer, same era as Sinatra, but she would, you know, she was very skilled as a, a musician who could scat and hang with, you know, the instrumentalists. So I, I kind of lean more towards that. I scat a lot. I, I love instrumental jazz. The guys that play with me, I let them really stretch out and solo. It's not, it's not like I sing the song and there's a little four-bar instrumental break and I jump right back in on the bridge and then the song's over. It's not like a pop tune. I, or sometimes, you know, Dave and I will sing, a, we'll, we'll perform a tune and it might last seven minutes with just two guys, you know, soloing and scatting. Whereas when I'm with a band, it might be a, a eight, nine minute, you know, version of that song because we're really stretching out. I'm letting the piano player play several solos and, you know, sometimes there's a drum solo. It's uh you know, it's jazz. It's straight up, straight ahead jazz with vocals. Yeah. Uh, but I also do, like with how I did at that show that you saw me at, pop tunes, uh, you know, Motown, old rock and roll, that we kind of give a, a jazz a treatment to. We twist it a little bit. And uh, that's a lot of fun because people, most people aren't familiar with jazz standards, but they're familiar with Ray Charles or Joe Cocker or, you know, whomever, whatever the tune that we're doing. I'm doing, doing some Paul Simon tunes now, you know. And uh, it's really, I at first I thought I might be upsetting people with changing how it's how it was done originally on the recording. But 99% of the time people say, wow, we really love what you did to that song, you know. And to me, that's jazz. You take a song and you change it, you twist it, because in, in reality jazz standards were were pop tunes taken from uh, most of them show tunes plays movies and these jazz musicians would get to them and twist them and turn them and change the harmony in the harmonies on them so that's what jazz is really for me yeah and you and you know you do such a great job uh, you and dave when you when at the show and one of the th one of the songs i remember you took um, get your kicks on route 66 and you just you know went to town with that it was just fabulous Oh yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, and that's just a blues number. Yeah. That's a twelve-bar blues, and the way that a lot of people hear that song is how Nat King Cole did it. You know, very mild-mannered and structured. And yeah, we I take that. To, I I really um, push that one off the cliff. You know, I love I love to go <laughs> off on a tune. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, how is you know we, we I talked to Dave, I talked to Javier. Obviously, the pandemic has killed you know music, and and we want to get it back and. Hopefully now that uh, you've got a show coming up in in May, so talk a little bit about that and how that's affected you. Um, it's really it's really affected me just as of recently, pretty pretty hard. Um, coming off of performing two three nights a week to zero, um, after about a year of that, um, I found myself in bad health. Didn't even really know it. I was not moving around as much because I'm at home, you know, I'm not, I'm not lugging my PA to and from a gig, setting it up, sweating and, and then performing for, for two to three hours, sometimes four with just, you know, when I sing for some reason, I, well, I give it my all. Like it's the last time I'm ever, I'm ever going to sing and I sweat, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. I should have went to the, well, not the gym. I should have just worked out and, and replaced that, um, activity or that energy with something else but i didn't i sat around the house put on about 15 pounds um and i guess i got a little depressed i, I was kind of neglecting my 
health. I wasn't watching my diabetes. I'm type two. I wasn't checking my blood that often. And, and when it was high, I get, Oh God, I gotta, you know, really watch it. And then I wouldn't check it for, you know, a month and put myself in that kind of a state. Um, it's partly, it's mainly my own fault, but COVID kind of made it, made that happen for me. Um, I think between the depression of not being able to perform, which is sort of like my own therapy, it's how I get high, if you will. Um, and, and the activity of doing it, um, you know, and then, and then just a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, I, I, or four, it's been almost a month now. Uh, I, I got COVID and it was so bad that, um, I had to go to the hospital and I was in there for five days and it was, um, basically because I wasn't taking care of myself and I had two comorbidities. I was, you know, probably 50 pounds overweight and I got type two diabetes. It was out of control and, uh, really knocked me on my butt, but it, I'll tell you what, it's kind of changed my life. I'm, I'm, I've got all these doctor appointments. I've got a checklist of things I got to do. I'm getting a sleep study. I'm getting a colonoscopy. I'm, I'm just checking all the boxes that I'm supposed to have checked at the age of 54. And I'm just going to listen to the diabetes doc, doctor and not try to self-diagnose myself anymore and just take care of myself because it was, it was a close one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's a long answer. I hope I answered your question. I can't oh, remember. yeah, it, it, you're <laughs> fine. And, and you know, you, you, you know, getting to the, the health issue, you know, we're so glad that you're you're uh, you, you're coming through this because uh, the world's a better place with Joe Mancuso singing in it. So make sure you oh. stay around for a long time. We want to yeah. make sure of that. And I want you to come. Um, hopefully, Jay will have another house concert soon. Uh, he talked oh. about that coming up. Uh, and I'm sure you guys will be invited because. It's it, it's all good. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just happy that that you're getting through it. And you talked about the therapy portion of singing. You know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was kind of a similar thing, just not much to look forward to, you know, and, and that was my therapy on Saturdays, just doing this podcast. And it's it's really helped me with my sanity. So I can imagine not doing what you love to do for that long. It just makes you crazy. Right. Yeah. I- and I do have some other outlets. I I have uh, over the last two years um, kind of built a recording studio in my house. I've my, my house whole house is a recording studio because <laughs> I use a lot of the different rooms. And my daughter has a rock band, so I'm I'm producing her music right here out of the house, and I'll be producing my next album right here out of the house. And years ago, I was an audio engineer. I used to own a recording studio. I know I know what I'm doing. But all the equipment has changed, <laughs> so it's taken me about a good year to wrap my mind around all the new, uh, you know, digital stuff. Because when I was producing music, I, we were still rolling, you know, yeah. multi tape and reel to reel. Remember? This? Oh yeah, <laughs> we would mix down digital, you know, and we and we had digital but editing equipment, two track stuff, but not multi track. But uh, it's amazing what you can do with today's equipment that is light years ahead of what we used to be able to do in the mix, the mixing uh, portion of making music. There's just so much you could do. It boggles the mind. And I had to get my head wrapped around it. And now I'm ready to start 
pumping out some music. My daughter, we, we released her third single, and we're working on an album that's going to have, uh, I think, 11 tunes. But they've already written music for two more records. They just keep pumping out this new music. And um, so now they're looking at me and they're, hey, come on, Dad, let's go. Let's get this stuff out there. And uh, so, you know, I was kind of dealing with that, too, learning how to use this stuff during COVID and pumping out their first three record, three singles. But now we're going to start releasing a new one every month. Yeah. So how can uh, we get um, your daughter's record? I know that uh, she's got her own band and, and you're producing yeah. it. So why don't you talk about that? She had we, we put out her first record uh, a couple years ago, and this is their second one we're working on. So if you go, the, the band's name is Crystal Lady. So if you get music from Apple or Spotify, all you got to do is look up Crystal Lady, and you'll see um, they have three new singles, and they have a whole record, I think, with uh, 12 tunes from, uh, I guess, three years ago out there. And um, they, they have a logo that kind of looks like a uh, kind of a trippy mandala uh, design, and it says Crystal Lady. It's purple, so you'll see that. And the new record has a cover that's got, like, a picture of my daughter's face, but it's kind of, like, a hand-drawn, and it's just, like, half of her face. And uh, the name of the new album is, is Hurricane. So behind here, there's, like, a hurricane and all this destruction. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> but just look up Crystal Lady yeah. on, the, on the streaming services, and you'll see that. Uh, awesome. So a talented family is what you're telling me. It's a talented family, the Mancusos. I came from a line of singers. My aunt, my dad's oldest sister, she passed away a few years ago, but she was my musical inspiration. Um, her name uh, was, her real name was Josephine Mancuso, but she went by Laura Tracy. She traveled the world. She sang in USO shows in front of big bands mm. and moved to Los Angeles um, back in the oh, mid 60s uh early 70s yeah, mid 60s but she she just she she had the story that she told me that she hated to tell and she was opening for this act in vegas called rowan and martin and they asked her if she wanted to be in this new tv pilot they were putting together and she thought they were square and she says now nah, i'm going to do another uso tour <laughs> she went on tour came back and Lo and behold, laughing. laughing. Was on yeah, I was going to say laughing. The television. Oh. <laughs> she kicked herself in the butt for years on that one. Oh. She, she could have been a huge star. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the, the roads you don't take sometimes, right? Yeah. It's, exactly. it's kind of, uh, but you know, sometimes it, you know things are, are, are meant for a reason. Now, we are going to have you sing at the end of the, the show, so I want you to get ready for that. But I want to, you know, you, you think about all the stuff that's been happening with COVID, right? Well, yeah. things you didn't know that it's been tough to get things during the whole pandemic, right? One of the things that's on the list right now, I don't know if you know this, and, and now you're getting healthier, so this would be not a concern, but chicken wings apparently has been something that is uh, having some issues. There's been a shortage of chicken wings around. Really? I know in the Cincinnati area, we've been having issues. Restaurants uh, are, are just basically saying, look, we don't have any chicken wings. How can you... <laughs> You know, I mean, come on. Like, you go to B-dubs or whatever, you get Hooters, I can't get any chicken wings? I mean, what kind yeah. of stuff is this? <laughs> I guess they got to get nuggets. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, apparently it said uh, there's been a shortage of chicken wings. The prices are also going up uh, for chicken wings as well. 
according to a Covington restaurant in Kentucky, Smoke Justice, they uh, the reason is, um, you know, for the necessarily shortage of chickens, but a shortage of actually at the processing plant. So it's not actually the chickens, so it's just the workers at the plant. So that's where the, the chicken wings come from. So interestingly enough. There's a place here in St. Louis where, um, uh, well, I better not mention their name. But <laughs> They, I, I eat a lot of chicken wings because I, I always try to we eat you know, kind of low carb, so I'll get a salad and wings a lot of times, you know. And uh, this one place, I, that we, my brother and I were, were laughing about it. Actually, my son and I, we were calling it chicken wing wars because recently, over the last few months, and maybe this has got something to do with it, the quality of their wings has changed probably a dozen times where They'll have these tiny wings, and then they'll have these big plump wings, and then they'll have wings that are breaded, or, or just it's like they keep trying different wings. Maybe they just can't get the same consistency, and they got to buy wings wherever they can find them. I guess so, but it's just I, crazy. That. Yeah. So you know we're getting old now because I want to I want to bring this up, and this is going to make you feel a little bit older today. Christy Brinkley is going to be sixty-seven, <laughs> and and she talked about. Uh, on Fox News, she talked about the fact, you know, that 67, she's going viral and all this stuff, that she, they asked her whether or not she's going to pose again for a Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issue. Uh, do you remember the swimsuit issues back in the day? Yeah. Um, she says, do you see yourself posing for Sports Illustrated swimsuit again? Brinkley said, hmm, I doubt it. I mean, you're asking a 67-year – I mean, granted, she looks fantastic, but at 67 – you know, that's probably not on her high priority list to uh, – she said, I feel like I've been there, done that. I think when I put the bathing suit on again, I'll also want to have a snorkel on and go diving. That might not be as attractive for, for us. Uh, but, you know, again, Christy Brinkley, 67. And I'll always remember uh, the scene in uh, Vacation, right? It's uh, Yeah. Yes. Driving in, like, I think like a Corvette or something. Or, yeah. yeah. And in and, and, uh, Chevy Chase and in the park where he's dancing with the sandwich and, and he bites into it, the dog pissed yeah. on. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, movie. Uh, Christy Brinkley, of course, Billy Joel, right? That, yeah. ma- married to Billy Joel. So a lot of yeah, a lot of interesting, interesting stuff. Another musical reference. Uh, if you uh, you know, it's kind of funny if you wanted some kiss uh, memorabilia. Paul Stanley is apparently demolishing his Beverly Hills mansion and basically selling everything. He's got like license plates and cups and travel bags and anywhere from fifteen to fifty dollars. He's also got kind of expensive items like drinking glasses going for twelve hundred dollars, which I don't understand why you'd spend that. Big French doors went for nine hundred, and he even had a couch for over two grand. He even put his lemon trees on the market for sale. I mean, is things that bad for? For Paul Stanley, that he has to be selling his planters for $4,000, uh, I just find it interesting. Uh, he's knocking down a seven-bedroom home in Beverly Hills. God bless him. And I, I like to tell this story about Kiss because I always liked the band Kiss. And I, I've seen them a few times. And just recently, in the last couple of years, they've been performing at Riverbend in Cincinnati. And we've seen them a couple of times. But this last performance, they're starting to get a little bit old, right? But what I mean by that is Paul Stanley gets them on stage, and now he sounds like the the, uh, Jewish grandmother, little Bubby up there. He sounds like, hello, Cincinnati, how are you? You know, it's kind of funny how 
they, he's kind of morphed into to Bubby. Um, but Paul Stanley's, you know, getting all that stuff uh, taken care of. The band kiss. Do you, now, did you do you like the band kiss? Did you, you ever? What were your thoughts? I I was never a huge fan of them musically because I I I have a problem when I listen to music. Um, I analyze it at the same time too, and I always just found their music to be just so uh, simple. But and but that doesn't mean music's bad when it's simple. I just it just didn't click with me. However, I thought Beth was a beautiful ballad, mm-hmm. and uh, the only other one that I remember being kind of popular is when I was a kid and we used to go to this roller rink. They would play, you know, I want to rock and roll yeah. all night, and that was like the big song that everybody went nuts on on the on the skating, you know, the the on the in the rink uh, roller skating. And we were we were skating back then with four wheels, not two. <laughs> exactly. I like the four wheel <laughs> skating as well. And and then they had Detroit Rock City. But I agree. I mean, they're a marketing machine. That was what they yes, really were. Yeah. Um, more about, you know, they were more about the experience, um, and and that I always appreciated, and even more so now, how uh, genius that whole thing was. Yeah. And I mean, they they created a a. a they, they're like pioneers in marketing. Yeah, no, Which, a- absolutely. Absolutely. As far as merchandising. Oh, yeah, like if you incredible. can only get Joe Mancuso stuff that way, right? We can only that, hope that that's going to be the marketing machine that is yeah. uh, what's going on. But here's something. Now, are, have, in, being a grown up in St. Louis and stuff, are you a bowler? Do you, did you ever bowl? Oh, yeah. All I right. mean, I'm not. I'm not a big bowler, but I've bowled a lot of times because that's just something we did for fun occasionally, you know. Well, I've been bowling for about 40-something years at least, and I'm a bowler. My, my kids bowl. My, you know, we all bowl Thursday night. But you I, guys are serious. Yeah, yeah. We're, seri- we're serious uh, average uh, drinkers and, and bowlers, you know. So okay. we, we, yeah. we go there on Thursday nights. But so I never thought about this on how I want to be remembered, you know, at, in the afterlife and how I want – you know, people people do ashes and they bury them all over the place. I I would never have thought to do this, but there's a, a gentleman just recently. Uh, his name is John Hinkle, and his father had passed away several years earlier. And he decided his father is the one who kind of taught him, you know, how to bowl and everything. And um, and Hinkle's bowled a lot of 300 games. So this is in Rochester, New York. I saw the story, but. What's kind of interesting is that he took his father's ashes and placed them in the thumb hole of the bowling ball. So he took his father. So this is interesting. Now, he bowls two-handed. Now, legally, to do two-handed, you have to have – you, you can't have three fingers uh, holes in the ball. So he just had the thumb hole, right? So he, he basically – he took the ashes, he put it in, in the thumb hole, and he bowled a 300 with the ashes in the ball. Talk about <laughs> celebrate. I mean, that I said that that's it right there. Five dollars. So my my afterlife is gonna be a five dollar cover, two drink minimum, and everybody's they're gonna take my ashes and just throw it down the bowling lane. I think that would be perfect. What do you think? <laughs> that sounds like a party. I think so. We gotta have a party. It might only not on two drink minimum. I think I'd go four. Four drink four. minimum, right? Come on. I want you to stay for a little bit, enjoy, you know, make sure you tip your waitresses, all those kind of stuff, especially yeah. now. Order so, that, get some of that bowling alley pizza. Oh, outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. So, so, 
before I get you ready to sing, I wanted to ask you: Do you have you been watching Jeopardy at all? The the with no, the guest I hosting. Saw little, I saw a little clip in the news, but I have not. Yeah. Well, they the Anderson Cooper's been on this week. They had Aaron Rodgers on, and uh, Ken Jennings started it, and they've had other people. Now apparently, Lavar Burton is going to get a chance. Uh, but here's some of the guests they're going to close out the season with. They've had Anderson Cooper on. They got Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos, <laughs> David Farber, Joe Buck. Joe Buck is everywhere. And, oh, yeah. uh, and then LeVar Burton. And there was a petition that people wanted to have LeVar Burton come on. Uh, he, you know, he's been on so many things. Uh, but, but, but again, LeVar Burton is uh, going to get a chance. So we'll see who eventually becomes the, the permanent host. I don't know right. who's going to be, but nobody can really replace Alex Trebek. But it's oh. been fun watching it with, with some of the uh, – I actually like Katie Couric was, uh, did a pretty good job uh, when she was on. Um, they had Dr. Oz eh, I can do her, you know, give her, give or take a few of him, but he was on, <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh, so Jeopardy closing out their season with, uh, and I watch it. I enjoy it. I like to, uh, think that I know stuff when I really don't, but I, I, I'm a good guesser. Uh, yeah. so that's, uh, it, it, it helps the trivia. So if you ever, ever going to be at a bar trivia night and you need to phone a friend, give me a call. Cause I got a lot of useless information in my head. I can <laughs> You would be great on a trivia. Day. Yeah, absolutely. You take me around, you know. Do you and your wife do a lot of those? Or? We, we have, uh, and, and she's amazed. There's a, so I, I tell this story a lot um, because I learn in a different way than most people. Like I'll, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of TV. So I remember a lot of stuff from when I was a kid. And it's just, you know, how, they don't care how you get there, right, how you learn. So a perfect example, watching Jeopardy about 10 years ago, and it came up on – uh, the question was, this Bolero composer, blah, blah, blah. And I said, who is Ravel? And my wife goes, how in the world did you know that? And I said, well, you have to understand, I was a teenage boy once. And the movie 10 with Bo Derek came on. And she said the best song to make love to was Ravel's Bolero. And I was about 11 years old. And I'll tell you. It stood in my memory forever, and I will always remember that from that. So it, however you learn, Joe, it, yeah. it's, it's good, right? So that's exactly. how I learned, and, and it's helped me in, in a couple of cases, uh, especially watching Jeopardy. So there you go. That's what I've got. <laughs> Ravel's Bolero. There you go. And you're not going to sing Ravel's Bolero, but give us a, a, an idea what, you know, a typical show. You've got a show coming up on May 1st, so why don't you plug that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, May 1st, I'm at this, uh, a new, um, well, it's new because it was supposed to have its grand opening in 2020 and, and we all know about that, yeah. but it's a place called the, um, it's in a, a suburb of St. Louis called Kirkwood. So it's the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center and it's a, a brand new construction, a brand new building that's really kind of modern that has, um, a main auditorium, and then they have a, a uh, like a basement uh, black box theater. Uh, so there's two performance um, venues in this venue, and plus there's other you know rooms where they teach and offices, and it's uh, it's a performing arts center. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm kind of uh, happy to be one of the first shows that's going to uh, uh, you know be presented out of that place. Um, 
and uh, it's a it's a show with two other singers. Uh, one of them is a very dear friend of mine. His name is Robert Nelson. He does uh, uh, locally a lot of jazz and R and B. Uh, then the other singer, her name is Dawn Weber. She's been on the scene for quite some time. She's very talented. She plays trumpet. She sings. She writes. Um, and then the band is basically my organ trio, which is comprised of uh, Hammond organ, guitar, and drums. And that's kind of the standard a classic jazz uh, configuration, organ trio. And uh, it's a really a fun group. Um, it's jazzy, it's upbeat, it's, you know, it's snappy, it's, uh, it's just a really kind of cool sound to sing, uh, in front of, and, uh, we're doing a song that was a, po uh, a song, we're doing a show that was supposed to be presented the weekend of Valentine's Day weekend, but we had like a super cold snap here in, you know, um, St. Louis where we, we moved the show to Bay because it was so cold people weren't going to show up, um, and uh, that's we kept the theme. We call it Kirkwood is for Lovers, which is a uh, that the town of Kirkwood. It's in Kirkwood. We're trying to promote the fact that we're at the new, uh, you know, building the new uh, Performing Arts Center. And it's going to be a great time. Three singers, um, you know, we all get on and do a little bit, take turns, and uh, it's a format that I that I use quite a bit here in St. Louis for bigger shows, where I'll bring on a couple other singers. Uh, just because, you know, different singers have different crowds and we get a you know, bigger audience and it's, it's just kind of fun. And then we'll duet or we'll do all one all together. And it's, uh, it, like many of my shows, we don't even rehearse. We just pick out tunes. We make sure the band knows them and we, the magic, the magic just happens on stage. Love it. And, <laughs> and I would like to hear a little bit of magic today. So on my show, Lens Burning Bush, give me a little bit of magic that we could expect on May 1st at the Kirkwood uh, performing Arts Center. Oh, geez. I don't want to I, put you on the spot. You know, I, I, I woke up, but I'll, I'll uh, give you some. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, one of the one of the tunes that I don't hardly ever do is called "Love," and it goes, uh, "L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very." Extraordinary E is everything that you are, and I forgot the lyrics. Hey, I gotta brush up on that tune before the show. <laughs> love it, love it. Either way, we'll just love it. And uh, Joe McKissie, you're wonderful. Uh, give out your website uh, so people can find uh, some information about Joe Mancuso, will you? Uh, my website is mancusojazz.com. And my last name is spelled M-A-N, like man, and then C-U-S-O. Very simple, mancusojazz.com. Plus, you can find me all over, um, you know, uh, Facebook. Look me up. Friend request me. I got a page on there. I got a personal account. And I put a lot of info on Facebook because I just got a bunch of fans on there. And it seems like it's the place where I get a lot of, you know, responses. I've got an Instagram, mancusojazz. Uh, you know, occasionally I'll put stuff up there, but that's, you know, that's for the young folk. I don't, I, I don't, I, <laughs> you're not on TikTok, is what you're telling me, man. Cuso is not I on, did, <laughs> I, I did set up a TikTok. Uh, I only got like three videos out there. I'm like, man, this is weird. Yeah. But 
my daughter's on it every day. Yeah, you're like uh, Bill Belichick. I'm on the snap face. Uh, that's what I'm on. You can like <laughs> Lens Burning Bush at uh, uh, Lens Burning Bush uh, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, at Lens Burning Bush. I got a YouTube channel, Len Harvey. You can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio. Tune in. You can ask Alexa to play Lens Burning Bush now. We're on Stitcher. We finally got, we, you know, we're on Pandora now. It took me almost a year to get uh, approved to be on Pandora. So finally, they decided we were worthy enough to be on. But uh, so now all the episodes are on Pandora. We've got uh, a lot of countries, uh, UK. Uh, we've got several downloads all the time in the UK. Uh, a lot of people uh, are listening. And again, Joe, I don't know why, uh, but we, you know, they they seem to like it. Well, we'll just keep doing it, right? That's cool, man. Well, thanks to you. Thanks, Joe Mancuso, because it's fun. I want to see you back doing this on a regular basis and, you know, singing again. And I hope that we can get together at Jay Brand soon or uh, I'll come out to St. Louis or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. But uh, thank you, Joe Mancuso, for being on the show. We'll be back again with another episode of Lens Burning Bush next week. So, thank so long. You. So long. All right. Very good.